0: by now this is my Welsh home so uh, I feel totally at home at here I feel I can be honest open vulnerable because we're all building the same essential thing aren't we we're trying to build great relevant church that reaches our multicultural society with all its needs and I just uh, have always felt really at home here so um, I want to share something with you this morning which Builds on what I shared in january now that 's a long time ago. <clears throat> so just think back. Can any of you remember what I spoke about in January? <laughs> Come on, building agreement. good girl, thank you. love it. <clears throat> Somebody remembered if you rem- basically I, I, I preached a message from the story of Nehemiah around some of the principles of building church together. And we simply made the one central point, that if we're going to build anything substantial for Jesus, we must agree. There's got to be a spirit of agreement amongst us, um, which goes against the pattern of this world, which is so divisive and riddled with individualism and personal opinions, and everybody's right, and you can't tell me. We, we, We agree around what the Holy Spirit is saying to us in each season. We agree around the ways that we're going to build church together. We agree how we're going to reach this community together. And that galvanizes us into action. And I used the story of Nehemiah to to illustrate that. So last time it was building agreement. Today, I'm going to talk about what could at first sight be seen as a completely different subject. But I want to show you that it's not. They're linked. I'm going to talk about prayer. Prayer. If you've had ears to hear what's gone on already this morning, we've prayed. We've lifted all those prayer requests to God. We've just been singing around the whole issue of drawing God into our lives, devotion to him, the need to live life in communication with Jesus. And I think there are, these two themes are inseparable if we are to build God's house in the way that Jesus wants us to. Pop that down there. <clears throat> You see, Christianity is fundamentally a relationship with God. It's you and Jesus is Christianity. Um, We don't do things for God. We do things with God. It's a relationship. We, We don't ask God to do things for us. He always says, hey, let me do it with you. He wants to work in us and through us. The heart of of Christianity is a relationship. And that's what I believe distinguishes it from all of the world religions. That it's a daily, personal, ever-deepening relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I think the moment Christianity loses anything of that relational essence, it becomes a religion based on rule-keeping. And you then begin to think, ooh, uh, I've I've not prayed. Ooh, I've not read my Bible. Ooh, I've not been to church. And suddenly you start doing things to get brownie points with God. And it becomes about works and actions and doing things. And we lose that relational essence. We've got to keep that relational essence. Because successful Christianity flows out of a deep personal relationship with Jesus. That relationship demands... A lot of talking. It demands a lot of listening. It demands communication. You can't have a relationship with en- with anybody that's meaningful if you're not communicating, can you? Husbands, wives, you know the deal. You know, parents, kids, you know the deal. <laughs> uh, communication's at the heart. And for us, when it comes to prayer. Prayer is that never-ending communication with God that pulls him into everything that we're navigating 24-7. It's deeply relational. It's not a duty. Prayer's not a way to get God to do stuff for us. Prayer's not a one-way street. It's it's a communication, a relationship. Some of you may be familiar with Pete Gregg, who leads the 24-7 prayer movement in the uk and uh, he has a wonderful devotional app called lectio 365 if any of you do devotional apps he's an outstanding writer as well and he's written a book on prayer called dirty glory i want to just open up our thinking with a quote from that book pete said this the point of prayer is not the power it releases but the person it reveals i don't pray because i'm into prayer I pray because I'm into Jesus. So we talk. I don't believe in the power of prayer. I believe in the power of Jesus. So I ask for his help a lot. (laughs) When I first read that, I thought, that is me. (laughs) That is me. I don't want to treat prayer like a, a magic formula. I've got to do this thing so God will do things. No, it's about Jesus, and me getting a deeper revelation of who he is, it's about me tapping into the power of the name of Jesus. Prayer deepens my relationship, and I need his help. So I find I'm talking to him a lot. It's why Paul wrote in Thessalonians that we must pray continuously, pray without ceasing, because it's our spiritual breath. Which means that whenever we talk about prayer... I think we do ourselves a disservice if we treat it as a kind of a topic in its own right. Prayer's got to be linked to life to be meaningful. Otherwise it becomes a thing that we do or don't do. Prayer's got to be just linked. So we've got to talk about how we just pray and work. How we just, we pray and raise our families. Boy, I've raised four kids, I've got ten grandkids now, and I just need to talk to Jesus about it all the time. Otherwise, they drive me nuts. Otherwise, the, you know, the emotional strain sometimes of it, the highs and the lows and all that, I've just got to keep talking to Jesus about it, pull him into it. Wisdom, direction, understanding, compassion, empathy come from him to help me navigate family. When I'm managing my money, I need to pray and manage my money. I need to not to fret, to worry, to just get all statistical about the budget. No, I need to keep talking to Jesus as I'm doing it. And he helps me understand how to better manage it and find peace and security. When I'm working with my inner life, you know, my thoughts and my emotions, and I've got to talk to Jesus about how I feel. Because sometimes I feel good, sometimes I feel bad. Sometimes I feel anxious, sometimes I feel elated. And I want to talk to Jesus about all those, not just the good bits or just the really bad bits. Pray, pray, pray pray and when it comes to doing church to take you back to January's message around building church and building an agreement I honestly believe we must pray and build if we say right we're gonna build church we're gonna do church in Newport we're gonna be an outreach station for Jesus we're gonna reach this community yeah 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 if you don't pray you're doing it in your own strength you can quickly get busy with the activity of building church pray and build pray and build which will be the title of what i want to talk to you about today you now some some years it dawned on me because I, I travel quite widely these days and i've got a good relationship network with pastors and leaders it bothered me many of them were getting stressed some were burning out some were feeling they've had enough Post-COVID, some have decided not to go back into leading church. And I'm I'm reasoning it through with Jesus. And I realize it's not complicated. A lot of these people have just burnt out because they stopped praying. Now, if I said to them, your devotional life has gone to pieces, maybe that would be a compartment of their life to them. But when I say, you're just not talking to Jesus... That 24-7 communication, staying open to him, praying without ceasing, that's what we, we must hold on to. Because what I start in my own strength, I've got to sustain in my own strength. And building church is no different to building a business or building a family in one sense. We make human decisions about what we're going to do, where we're going to apportion our funds, which parts of the community we're going to reach and work with, etc., etc. But if we're not bathing it in prayer... We might make some poor choices, which rob us of life and energy and focus. We need to be so connected to Jesus. So we're praying and building. Then we handle ourselves well and the people God entrusts to us well. We must pray and build. Now, I want to take you back to our friend that we referenced in January. I want to take you back to Nehemiah. Because he, to me, is a fabulous example of someone who understood if I'm going to build what God is calling me to build in my lifetime, whew, I need to talk to God about this. He's famous, as you know, for rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem and his, <coughs> his project of rebuilding Jerusalem in those days is a wonderful picture and parallel of us building church today Because Jerusalem then, in that Old Testament era, was where God lived. It was his address. And if people wanted to go meet the God of Israel, they went to Jerusalem, You went to the temple, it's where the Ark of the Covenant was. And from Jerusalem, the idea was that God's wonderful life radiated out to the nations so they would indeed go up to Jerusalem to meet the Lord. Sadly, in Nehemiah's day, that had all gone wrong. Israel had made bad choices, turned their back on him, and they'd reaped the consequence of their choices, and Jerusalem had been overthrown by the Babylonians. It was in ruins. Holes in the walls, gates burned with fire. It's a mess. So if at that point in time you said, oh, I've heard about the God of Israel, I'll, I'll go and explore how wonderful he is. Everybody says he's amazing. You go to Jerusalem and you find a heap of rubble. That's not a good testimony for the God of Israel. And it's, it's a parallel of the state of the church today, if we're not careful. But where is the God of the Christians? Where is he? How do I find him? Where do I locate him? Where does he dwell? He lives in me and he lives in you, doesn't he? You know, 1 Peter's very clear, 1 Peter 2 5, that we are living stones being built into a spiritual house. Ephesians 2.21 says, In him, that's in Christ, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So the Old Testament temple is a picture of the reality of new covenant living where we are living stones being built together into a glorious temple. And when people enter this temple of our shared lives and community, they go, wow, God is good, isn't he? You mean God God helped you get through that problem? God delivered you from that illness? God saved you? God healed you? Wow, you mean God is with you all the time? You mean you don't have to do stuff to earn your salvation? You mean it's a gift? What we demonstrate is how good God is when they come into this house. So that's the parallel that we're drawing. And I believe a key to Nehemiah's success, because he did a great job, was that he prayed as he built. He bade the whole process in prayer. He drew God into it. Four simple points I want to show you from his story this morning. The first is this, that it was actually prayer that motivated him to build. Prayer motivated him to build. Last time I was with you, I explained how when he heard that Jerusalem was in ruins, he felt something. He, his heart went, ah. Oh. He felt something of what God felt about the need to get Jerusalem strong again and rebuilt and so on. And in chapter 1, verse 4, he says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and Prayed. I prayed before the God of heaven. Then if you keep reading, he launches into a long prayer. Down at verse 11, he says, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. And this man, we discover, was the king. Because he says, I was cupbearer to the king. He ends up in a conversation with the king, which we unpacked back in January. And basically, the king eventually says to him, What is it you want, Nehemiah? And again, he prays. It's like, I prayed, and then I asked. You just get the feel all the way through. is just talking to God in his spirit, spirit to spirit, talking to God while he's talking to the king, while he's thinking through, How should I respond? Jerusalem's walls are broken down, and that's not good. And he's talking to God. And the truth is this: the plan to dare to ask the king to send him back to rebuild the walls, that plan was incubated in the prayer room. It's in prayer that plans, that visions, that desires, get incubated and begin to come to life. Somewhere between hearing about the plight of Jerusalem, speaking to the king, it developed. And I believe it's the same for you and I. Your plans develop as you talk to God about them. As you you begin to feel what God feels, you sense something, you hear something, you see something, and God moves your heart to do something about them, you think, ah, what do I do? Well, you're beginning to feel what God feels, and as you talk to him, the Holy Spirit nudges you into activity, nudges you towards involvement, It motivates you to get building. See, building the church today is about building one another up into a community that God is pleased to dwell in. And as you look around at need in the world and in the church and society, God nudges you. And by faith, you begin to take small steps of obedience and outwork the call of God on your life. In other words... It was a time a few years ago. It's probably about ten years ago now, actually, when I, I suddenly became aware that in the in the region, sort of north of England region, there are a number of churches that i would got relationship with. They're all small, medium, small to medium sort of size, all wanting the same kind of training and input and support. I'm just talking to God about it, saying, "Man, one church has said this, one church has said that. They all seem to want the same kind of thing." And as I'm talking to God, I get an idea. Now, would I have had the idea if I hadn't been talking to Jesus? I, I don't think so. As I'm talking to God, I get the idea. The idea was, well, maybe you could put something on, sort of in a central location that they could all be helped by. And it was the, it was the birth thought of what became something called the Building Church Academy, which is a program that ran for about six years um, based in one location, small churches sent their workers to it to be trained. One Saturday a month for 10 months. Great little, great out, it's not a great sort of project. It helped the churches immensely. Lots of seed was sown. Lots of churches strengthened simply because of an idea. I remember some years ago when I was pastoring, um, two ladies came to see me after church one one Sunday in Bradford. and They said, Steve, we we, 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 wanted, we want to do something for the prostitutes in Bradford. And they said it as straight as that. We want to do something for the prostitutes in Bradford. And I thought, ooh, okay. Um, <clears throat> talk to me, girls, what's in your heads? One well, of these ladies, were one, one was a single mum who was about 30, and one was a, the other lady was about 45-ish, that sort of age, family people. And they explained to me, when we travel into church every Sunday, the route we come from our estate takes us through the red light district. And what we've noticed is some of the girls are still out on Sunday morning. She says, and it breaks our heart driving past them. And sometimes we'll see guys slowing down and think, ah, man, the poor kid. If only we could sort of grab her and get her off the street and, I don't know, what, what, what do you do? Uh, they would no idea where to start. But they'd just seen this thing and talked to Jesus. Maybe that was the dangerous bit. <laughs> they'd done what I'm saying. They started to talk to Jesus. And as they talked to Jesus, they'd felt they'd caught his heart. And, now this, and they'd actually come up with a plan. they talked it with Jesus. They'd got this idea. The idea was that we get a minibus. And that we go out certain times a week and we get to gradually meet the girls, give them a coffee, get some relationship going, help them with some sexual health guidance, uh, offer them the possibility of rehab and detox. Because the high proportion were doing what they were doing to get money to feed their drug habits. Complex, sordid world. But these girls were like broken by it. It's like. Jesus wants us to do something. And that was the birth of what became our red light ministry. To this day, it continues. Just slowly, quietly, trying to help and reach hurting people. Is that not what Jesus did? It's what Jesus did. Where did the idea come from? It came from just having their eyes open, feeling what God feels, and talking to him about it. Prayer is where things are incubated. Prayer motivates you. We must talk to God about what we're seeing. You know, I've become convinced over the years. People who have stopped building church with us, and by that I mean they might still be here in body, but that's all. It's kind of the turn up, they sit, they watch, they go. They're not involved. They're not practically involved. They're not helping. They're not giving. They're not serving. They're not a part of building what we're doing together. I believe they've probably stopped praying. Because if you pray, if you keep talking to Jesus every day, he's going to keep you motivated. He's going to keep you stirred. He's going to give you, some plans are going to be incubated and you're going to be motivated to help us build if you continue to pray. So Nehemiah was motivated as he prayed to do what he did and help rebuild Jerusalem. Same thing I then when you to spot is this. prayer protected him as he built see the prayer had motivated him to build the right thing he got involved with the right project he'd not jumped on a bandwagon just started doing the trendy thing he'd heard from God and was building the right thing but sometimes you know how it goes you start doing what you believe is the right thing then you get all manner of attack and opposition and all manner of problems crop up and you begin to question oh, did I really hear from God? Really, was it really him? Nehemiah had that. Read his story, you'll be encouraged because he had a p- opposition from three guys in particular who didn't like him and they just didn't like what he was doing for Israel. Uh, they were called Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. We won't go off into their stories and how they intimidated him, maybe that's for another day. But just to say this just as we find our church building efforts resisted sometimes by right? all manner of opposition they became a real thorn in Nehemiah's side they make fun of him they intimidate him they started a conspiracy theory against him just like it was like a, it was like a Facebook thread <laughs> if you read the story it's like oh I think Nehemiah really he's wanting the king's job really he shouldn't be doing this really he's doing this without position ah. they even sent a false prophet To prophesy that he was making a mistake. You know, they're really getting to him from all these different angles. And of course, in the end, they even tried to take him out physically, they tried to take his life from him. So what does Nehemiah do? He prays. He prays. Chapter 4, verse 9 says, But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night. To meet this threat. Further down in chapter 6. He says. They were all trying to frighten us. Thinking their hands will get too weak for the work. And it won't be completed. But I prayed. Now strengthen my hands. Pray, pray, pray. Prayer us as we build. Truth is. Anything you want to do for Jesus. That's going to push back the kingdom of darkness. Will have an element of resistance to it. How do you overcome the resistance, you've got to pray. You've got to pull Jesus in every day. You've to pull the power of the Holy Spirit in every day to help you press through. Nehemiah's lesson teaches us that he succeeded. He got the job done. Chapter 6 tells us that it only took him 52 days, and it says in verse 16 of chapter 6, when all our enemies heard this, all the surrounding nations were afraid, and they lost their self-confidence because they realized This work had been done with the help of our God. (laughs) See, when you pray and you, you keep pulling God into it, even the enemy in the end has to admit they haven't done this in their own strength. I think maybe God is with them, maybe God is for them. Prayer had pulled God into the situation. And prayer is our protection as we build the church today. We must never forget, must we, that we're in a spiritual battle. in a spiritual battle and the fact that you're redeemed the fact that you're born again that you're in the kingdom of light now that you're a child of the king all those thoughts have an opposite you were a child of the evil one you were in the kingdom of darkness you were on a one one-way ticket to lost eternity and now you've reversed it and it's wonderful to be in christ But the enemy doesn't like losing his possessions, the things he once controlled. And he will, if he can, make life difficult for us. But don't worry. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome this world. Don't worry. Matthew 16, he says, I will build my church. I'm going to build it, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. If we're not praying and talking to that God who said those things, we're going to sometimes fear because we're going to see the giants and we're going to see the enemy and go, oh, I can't do this. Prayer is what keeps us confident, full of faith and confidence that Jesus is with us. It's the, you know, I believe with all my heart, the, the primary weapon against the, the world and the, the, the primary thing that advances the cause of Christ in the world is the church. It is. It's the church. It's our gathered efforts together to push back. And because the church is the weapon, we need to make sure that it's well protected. We need to make sure that every single one of us has our spiritual armor on. Every single one of us is praying and involving Jesus in our personal and collective lives. I find it very instructive that when... um, In the book of Ephesians, where Paul talks about put on the whole armor of God and so on, which, won't get into the armor, but he makes the point, you're in a battle, so keep your armor on, helmet of salvation, blessed spirit of righteousness, and all the bits. At the end of that instruction, he says this in verse 18. He says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words will be given me so I will fiercely make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray, I may declare it fiercely. It's pray, 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 pray. Just putting the armor on itself, it's not a passive thing. Oh, I've got my stuff on, I'll be all right. No, you have to put it on and you have to pray. You have to stand your ground. Pray. Keep talking to Jesus. So, yes, pray and build, but sometimes it's pray and fight, which is what they were doing on those walls. They were praying and they were fighting. They were posting a guard and so on as they prayed and built, as we saw in that earlier scripture. Now, I mentioned the Building Church Academy project uh, a moment or two ago. It's funny. that I was convinced it was a brilliant idea. I knew it was a God idea. I knew I'd got the skill set to sort of launch it, and I pulled a team around me and got some others involved. Um... I was so sure it was a great idea. I was shocked when it was opposed. And I I had a a very difficult conversation with a leader one day, a pastor of a church, who was threatened by it. I was totally thrown. I thought, this is weird. This is just bizarre. Why does he think that doing this project is in some way trying to rob him of influence or rob him of... Of the control of his people and so on. It was a really strange thing. And as I'm talking to him, I'm thinking, this is nothing to do with human beings. This is demonic. This is, the, this is a pushback coming from what I thought was a, would be an accepting source. And I wasn't kind of on my guard because I was all chipper about it. It was like, yeah, this is great. Come on, you're going to love this project. Come on, you're going to love this project. And the guy sort of resisted me. And I felt, whoa, what's going on? good thing is prayer always draws the power of heaven into your church building activity some of you are leading things like kids church and you've got ministry teams you've got jesus cares going on you've got all manner of activity going on as a church every single expression every family every small group every ministry expression needs to be bathed in prayer I'm not talking about, ooh, you need to put on your, on your program that we pray three times a week. By all means, do that. What I'm talking about really is just 24-7 pray for each other. Be open to the Spirit of God. Never let your spirit be so cluttered with all the other stuff of life that there's not part of you that's just saying, okay, Lord, what's next? What are we doing now, Lord? Lord Jesus, how do I respond here? Hmm, God, give me some wisdom here, Lord. It's constantly going on. That prayer that helps you build and helps you fight. Because prayer will motivate you. But then once you get building, prayer will protect you. The third thing that I've realized from Nehemiah's story, prayer did, was prayer kept his heart right. It kind of kept his heart and attitudes right. See, building church is building with people, really. Because we build with living stones. And it's so easy to take offense. It's so easy to upset one another. These days, it's so easy to be unkind or misunderstood. But prayer was what kept Nehemiah's heart right. Building church is... <clears throat> it's, it's got lots of things in it that are going to get tested. Let's put it that way. Um, your motives get tested. If you start a new ministry idea, you start a small group, you start a program... If it goes well, you're going to go, yes, we heard from God, and God has blessed it. There's a danger you can become proud, and it can become, ooh, aren't we good? No, if you keep talking to Jesus, it'll just keep you rightly humble. It'll keep the glory where it should be with him, won't it? But, of course, if you start that same project and nobody comes, (laughs) or it's a disaster, you know, it fails, um, you're going to get depressed. It can make you think, oh, I obviously can't hear from God. I'm rubbish. I'm no good. I don't know why I even bother coming to church anymore. No. If you keep talking to God, even when you go through the mess and the mistakes and the human stuff, he'll keep you on. He'll keep saying, no. No, Steve, it's all right. It's okay. Just learn. We're going to do better next time because he encourages us. So you've got to keep praying. He tests your motives. Keeps your your heart right. It's the same with relationships. Have you ever found that Uh, You'll do something in church to help build church and keep things moving. And everybody's thanking you. Oh, thank you, Paul. That was so kind, Paul. So what a blessing, Paul. You were so wonderful, Paul. And before you know it, Paul's going, I'm the man. Everybody loves Paul. Now I've got to keep doing enough things to make sure I keep that sense of adoration coming my way. And he can become dependent on the adoration from you lot rather than the smile of Jesus. Gets tested relationally. Um, Of course, it can go the other way. Paul can be doing his best and nobody ever thanks him. And so Paul sat at home thinking, Jesus, I pour my heart and soul into this church. I do what I can. Nobody even notices. I bet they don't even realize the hours I'm putting here behind the scenes. And before you know it, he's getting grumpy. His attitudes are getting tainted. How does he protect that? By praying. Prayer will help you whether you think you're awesome or whether you think you're rubbish. <laughs> Prayer will help you keep that balance and navigate the middle path. It gets tested. Even our work ethic gets tested, I think, when we're building church. Because building church is hard work and it's a long-term project. And sometimes you can be a bit, you know, another meeting or another op- op- project we're launching, another this and As long as you keep talking to Jesus... He will provide the energy you need. He'll provide the strength you need. He'll help you make the best choices about what to start and what to, what to do. <clears throat> it grieves me when I see people who become what I would call churchaholics. And I see it because I've been one. <clears throat> and I'm not proud of it. But by churchaholic, I mean I got so fixated with the importance of church, which started in a good place. Actually, I began to squeeze God out of it, and it became all about me and the team I was building with. And you, you, I suddenly found myself running on my own strength, not really having enough time to pray, to just pause, to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us together, and all that it's the activity, the program, the activity of the program. And of course, people begin to crash and burn. We must. Keep our work ethic submitted to Jesus by bathing it in prayer. Prayer keeps our heart and our attitudes right. That's what Nehemiah did. It amuses me in some ways that when you read his book, he's constantly just pinging prayers to God. Pinging them. And uh, a frequent prayer of his is just, Remember me, Lord. Remember me, Lord. Chapter 5, verse 19, he says, Remember with favor, my God, for all I've done for these people. Now, he doesn't think God's forgotten him. He's just registering with God. God, I know. I'm just registering to myself. You know. You see. You understand. Just giving it to God. Chapter 13, he says, Remember be for this, my God. and Don't blot out what I've so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. <laughs> He's making the point that... God actually does know, and that's all that matters. What matters is that God sees, God smiles, God encourages, so he's just giving it to God. And I think prayer allows you just to feel God's smile or his displeasure as you build. And if you keep praying, you'll learn to feel it really quickly. You'll feel the smile and make a good choice. You'll feel his displeasure, and you'll go, oh, no, we're not going to do that. Keeps your heart Right. It's his church. It's his church. If I can put it nicely, you serve Jesus, not Dave and Fay. We we don't serve men and women, do we? At one level, we serve Jesus. The church is his, we are his, we're his kids. Now he's blessed us with good leaders and shepherds who will care for us and function on his behalf towards us in meeting our spiritual ministry needs. Jesus sees that your battles. He sees your hard work behind the scenes. He understands when others criticize you or get the wrong end of the stick. He sees, he understands. And prayer will help you to process all that stuff It'll help you to forgive, not to hold grudges. It'll actually keep your heart free. Remember me, Lord. All that matters is that you remember me at the end of the day. So prayer motivated Nehemiah to build, and it protected him as he built, and it kept his heart attitudes right as he went on the process. One last thing. Prayer kept his priorities right. Prayer kept his priorities right. You see, people who pray and then begin to feel what God feels about a situation can sometimes struggle to know how to respond to what they feel. I mean, there's so much need in the world. How do I respond? Am I supposed to just sell all my stuff and go out and solve one of the world's problems? What am I supposed to do, Lord? And knowing what to put first with all the competing demands on us in life, can be quite a challenge. Because we, we all have valid concerns, don't we, about things. And it becomes a burden to us. Ah. Truth is, I can't fix everything. I've got all these concerns, and I see issues, but I can't fix them. I can't. I'm powerless to fix them. That The decisions required to fix them are not mine. There might be someone close to me. You know, it might be my children's decision, or it might be your friend's decision. Others need to make choices, and you wish you could make them for them. Then it would be right, wouldn't it? <laughs> Sometimes I just, oh, God, what, how, how, do I, how do I respond to this concern that I feel for a situation? And it can crush you. You can end up taking it on, and it can begin to wear you down and rob you of life and sleep and health because the truth is I can't fix everything and I've realized it was like a light bulb moment for me some years ago that most of the concerns that I feel in a given day I am powerless to fix so I watch the news and so I get concerned about Ukraine I get concerned about forest fires i get concerned about global warming i get concerned about all manner of stuff massive things yeah i can make a little contribution with my recycling and doing what i do but i can't fix the whole problem what do i do with that all i can do with it is go lord lord jesus we give it to you we've got to give to him because if I prioritize trying to fix everything, it's going to crush me. It's not going to crush him because he holds the world in his hand. He's sovereign, he's lord, he's ruler, he's king. And I, I've, I realized the vast majority of the concerns I was carrying around in my heart right now, I was powerless to fix. So I'd got to, and worrying about them wasn't making them any better either. <laughs> so I needed to do something with them. What do I do? I've got to give all my worries and my cares to God. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. Philippians 4, 6 says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Every time you find yourself worrying, flip it to prayer. Flip it to prayer. Flip it to Jesus, help me. Jesus, what do I do with this? Lord, I give it to you. Please, Lord, intervene in those situations. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he's done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can understand. Love it. That's what Nehemiah did as we read his story. He prayed about his concerns. Chapter 6, he says, Lord, remember Tobiah and Sambalat, my God. Because of what they've done. Remember also the prophet, Noadiah, and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. He's kind of naming people, saying, Lord, I'm giving them to you. I'm giving them to you. Maybe he was re- re- remembering um, elsewhere in the scripture where it says, it's better to fall into the hands of the living God than it is to fall into the hand of man. It's like, I'm just giving them to you. I'm giving them to you. Chapter 13, he says, remember them, my God, because they defiled the priestly office. So there was, a, there was an instance where he was, some, some priests had done some bad stuff. All I'm saying is, pray about your concerns, but alongside that, then prioritize what are your genuine responsibilities. You see, what Nehemiah realized was, his responsibility was to do what God had told him to do. And God had said, rebuild my city. You're the man. I'm resourcing you to the hilt. I'm with you and for you. Opposition? Come on, we're going to pray this through together. And he just kept doing what he believed God had told him to do. Now, he was responsible for that. God had told him to do it. So nobody else could do it for him. And the truth is, God's told you to do some stuff, and nobody else can do it for you. And if you don't do what God has told you to do, then you're responsible. God's going to say, hey, Steve, what happened to the idea I gave you to do so-and-so? Steve, wh- why, why didn't you just press through? You were on a, you were in a good trajectory. Why did you pack it in? <laughs> Sometimes I have those conversations with God. Keeps you humble. Keeps you small. Keeps you in the right place. The point is, yes, pray about those concerns. Give them to Jesus. But then prioritize what are your genuine responsibilities. The things that you will be held accountable for. Nehemiah knew he was accountable, not just to God. He was accountable to the king back home as well. He's kind of, so I'm going to keep my priorities right. His conversational prayer with God just drew God in and allowed him to give those concerns to God and keep his priorities clear. I'd encourage you, talk with God about how you should spend your time. Talk with God about how you spend your money, how you, where you invest your energy. How do you use your gifts and your talents and your experiences? If you say to Jesus, Jesus, what out of all these things should I do first? He'll always say the things you're responsible for and the things I've asked you to do. It always comes back the same. Make a list. What has Jesus asked you to do? Well, he's asked me to be a good husband to my wife top of the list (laughs) he's asked me to be the best dad I can be to my kids best granddad I can be nobody else can be husband or dad or granddad can they I've got to do it you know what has Jesus asked me to do he's put me in a pastoral function in the church he wants me to teach his people and to love his people okay Lord I'm going to prioritize that Maybe, maybe God's called you to business and you've just got to say Lord I know it's business And it's to build a business that's going to help the world and make some money to help the kingdom. And you're totally fulfilled. It makes you strong and energizes you. Others of you, it's, Lord, I just know you want me to help the poor. And I just want to be at Jesus' case every Philippine day, Lord. I just love helping people. I love being the, you know what I'm saying. (laughs) Do what you know God has. Make a list of what God has called you to do prioritize those things. I, only I can look after my personal health. Only I can look after my walk with Jesus. Only I can look after my relationship with my family and my church and so on. So those are the responsibilities I have to prioritize. And I learned from Nehemiah's story, it was his prayer life that kept him focused and those priorities strong. So, let me conclude. <clears throat> prayer motivated him to build it protected him as he built It kept his heart and his attitudes right and he kept his priorities right now, I believe like Nehemiah we are called to pray and build the only reason you would come in the middle of summer August school holidays come together on a Sunday morning to worship and to be together, to be in God's house, is because there's some sense of God wants me here. God wants me here. This is place of God's appointing for me. This is my spiritual family. These are my fellow builders. We want to do something for Jesus collectively and together. God has called you together. Well, as you build, you must pray. I don't want to think ever that I'm building without prayer because I'm on my own then. Neither do I want to just pray about building and never actually get practically involved. Hopefully the prayer will motivate me to get stuck in, because Christianity is that working relationship with Jesus. Let's just bow our heads and I want to just lead you in a prayer before handing back to Paul. Now if you're not motivated to help build the church practically today. Please pray about it. Please just pray. Maybe you feel under attack or resisted. Pray. Maybe your heart's been damaged or your priorities have slipped a little bit. Pray. Maybe you're still looking to know what to prioritize. Pray. Have the conversation with Jesus. Remember what Pete Gregg wrote. The point of prayer is not the power it releases, but the person it reveals. Don't pray because you're into prayer. Pray because you're into Jesus. So talk to him. He said, I don't believe in the power of prayer. I believe in the power of Jesus. So I ask for his help a lot. Lord Jesus, we come before you. As your people as your kids as your willing fellow builders of your house in these days and we pray that you would help us help us to be motivated to be doing what you've called us and put us on the planet to do Lord I pray you'd protect everyone in this room who feels at this moment in time opposed or constricted or resisted in what they know you've given them to do Lord, I pray you'd give them courage to press through, to keep their armor on and to pray. Lord, I pray you'd keep our attitudes and our motives pure. I pray you'd help us to make good priority choices. Help us, we pray, that we may reflect on these days and years to come and look back and say what a joy it was to build the house together, to build a community that became a beacon of hope, in a world that is falling apart. Lord, we pray by your Holy Spirit that you'd whisper into each person's heart how they should respond to these things we're talking about today so that we leave this place committed more than ever to praying and building together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.
1: What an encouraging word that is this morning. I think it's almost being, um, having a half hour in the gym, you know, muscling up, muscling up to realize what we are called to do and being able to move out in his strength and not our own. Because, you know, that was so good for me personally when, you know, Stephen was saying about the building up or building or lowering down. It's, it's so practical, the, 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 what he's taught us this morning. But what he did mention about one thing was prayer. And he also talked about a relationship. Now, for those that may be watching or here that have never taken that step, because that's what it is, is one step forward to in this relationship with this God of the Christian and his name is Jesus. How do we do that? By a simple uh, acknowledgement that we need him. And it's done in, in, a, in, a, in a form of prayer that is simple from your heart. So I'm just going to say a, a couple of lines. If you want to say it in your heart, these words... It's an entry point. This, the the prayer itself takes you. It takes you into the place where you can move forward to know who he is. So if you wanna say these words in your heart after me, dear Lord Jesus, I don't know you like I want to. I know I need something in my life that I don't know how to fill it. But I ask you now to come in. I'm asking you to help me in my relationship to know you. You died on the cross to set me free. I wanna be free. I wanna be free from myself, from the stresses and strains of the world, and I want you to come and save me, and I make myself a free will offering to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.